Well, Merry Christmas, OBC. Man, I love Christmas time. Love everything about it. Um, There was a man and a wife decided to go Christmas shopping for each other. And uh, they went to their favorite shopping center they've been going to for years. And uh, she went that way and he went that way. And then they said, we'll meet up. Uh, So after about an hour or so, um, the husband's phone rang and it was the wife. And uh, she said, hey, where you at? And he said, hey, babe. You remember years ago when we first got married? You know, that little, we went to that little uh, jewelry store here in this shopping center, and, and we found this ring, but it was so expensive, and we couldn't afford it. But remember, we were there, and I said, one day when we get a little older, I'm going to buy you this ring. And she gets a little more. She said, I remember. I remember you, and you promised me that. He said, well, I'm at the gun shop right next to that. <laughs> All right, everybody say, that's terrible, but really, really hilarious at the same time, right? (laughs) Hey, do you know what uh, a huge part of Christmas is? A promise made and a promise kept. Most of us have made promises. Most of us have had people keep very important promises to us. Most of us have had promises broken, some of them that hurt us in significant ways. We we understand the power of a promise made. We understand the power of a promise kept. We understand the power, the pain of a promise broken. I don't remember how old my son Stephen was, but I'll, I'll never forget it. I think he was probably in, in junior high or middle school, something like that. And we were driving down the road, and my phone rang. And uh, it was um, a, a friend of Stephen's father. And he had been having some marriage trouble, and, and he called me, and he said, Pastor Steve, I just want you to know I'm done, and I've already made arrangements to leave my family. Had another one. By the way, nobody ever leaves without another person. Just a little side note. And Stephen kind of heard the conversation, and he said, what's going on, Dad? And I said, well, you know, your friend, that was his dad, and he said he's leaving the family. He didn't say anything for a minute. Then here's what he said to me. He said, Dad, do you remember the promise you made me? And I said, I remember, son. It's when he was a little boy, young enough, little enough to sit on my lap. And he was sitting on my lap, and I said, Stephen, I want to make you a promise. I will never leave this family. Promise made promise kept you see we understand the power of a promise kept we understand the power and the pain of a promise broken in sickness and in health for richer for poorer as long as we both shall live promise made promise not kept sometimes it can seem like a small thing But mom, but daddy, you promised. 
Because even little kids understand the power of a promise made, even if they don't understand the circumstances that sometimes as parents mean we can't keep that promise, but they understand the weight of the promise made, the weight of a promise kept, the weight of a promise broken. You see, something, something happens to the trust in our heart when a promise is kept. It, it goes way up, right? And something happens to the trust in our heart when a promise is broken. A huge part of Christmas is a promise made, a promise kept. Here's a promise made. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Promise made. 700 years later, Here's a promise kept. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the promise, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus is the promise kept. Jesus is God Almighty who left the glory of heaven, became a baby in Bethlehem. This is a fulfillment of the promise of God to send a Savior. Um, There was a um, uh, professor uh, at... Westmont College. This was a few years ago. And uh, he, he was a solid believer, and he believed that God always keeps his promises every time, no matter what. So he decided to calculate some mathematic probabilities of the prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in Jesus. Um, so he had about 12 different classes, represented about 600 students. And so he challenged all the 600 students to be a part of this to see what they could find out. For instance, just something like this. In Micah 5.2, the Bible says 700 years before Jesus was born, Micah the prophet said that Jesus would, Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem. So these 600 students and this professor at Westmont College calculated the probabilities. So they got their best guess on what the population of Bethlehem would have been at that time, best guess on what the population of that area in the world would have been at that time. And here's what they found out, that there was only a one in 
One with 17 zeros. Let me let that number sink in a minute. One in one with 17 zeros, probability that one man could have born in, been born in this city 700 years in the future. So then they said, well, we're not going to stop there. We're going to take eight prophecies that we believe were fulfilled in Jesus from the Old Testament, specifically just the birth of Jesus. And here's basically what they found out. I'm oversimplifying this, but here's basically what they found out. Um, if you were to take a guy, put a blindfold on him, have a bucket, put 10 coins in there, and one of those coins was colored red. And you said, draw the red one with a blindfold on. There's a one in 10 chance he could have drawn that one red coin. Here's what they found out through mathematic probabilities about these specific eight prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus. If you take the state of Texas and fill it up two feet deep with coins and you have that same one red coin and you fly over Texas, drop it down. Then you take that same guy, put a blindfold on him and say, you can go anywhere you want in the state of Texas that is filled with two feet full of coins, but you have to find this one coin. They said that is the mathematical probability that these eight prophecies were fulfilled in one man to become Messiah, the Lord Jesus. But it happened. How? Because God always keeps his promises no matter what. Every time. Not only that, they took eight prophecies, but there are actually 50 plus prophecies that were fulfilled at Jesus' birth and over 300 promises, prophecies of God that were fulfilled in his life. I mean, just let those numbers sink in a minute. I mean, which would probably equate to taking half the world and filling it up with coins. It's incredible what God did. The promises God made and God keeps his promises every time, no matter what. So what does that mean for us right now at Christmas time that God always keeps his promises? Three things. Here's the first one. Write this down. Because God always keeps his promises, we can trust him when life doesn't make sense. You ever look around life and just say, man, I don't know what's going on, but this makes no sense at all. You know, there was a time in Joseph's life when I'm sure he felt the same way. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, uh, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. So betrothal, um, it wasn't just like our engagement that you could call off whenever you want before a marriage without any legal ramifications. So betrothal in uh, first century Judaism was a legally binding 
arrangement, but there was no sexual activity yet. Um, so when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, you can imagine Joseph's reaction to that. So you remember the story. The angel Gabriel shows up and tells Mary, you're going to give birth to the Lord God Almighty, the promised Messiah. God's going to keep his promise, and he's going to do it through you, the Savior of the world. Joseph doesn't know that. He just knows she's pregnant, and it wasn't me. And we're legally bound to each other. Look what happens, verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to uh, put her to shame, he loved her. He didn't want to publicly disgrace her. He was a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, divorce was required when there was a betrothal because it was a legally binding arrangement. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You think that made any sense to Joseph? I mean, I'm engaged to Mary. I love her. I can't wait till we're husband and wife. I can't wait for the honeymoon. Now she's pregnant. Somebody else had my honeymoon. I know I'm not the father. I don't know what's going on. And an angel shows up <laughs> and says, don't worry. She's still a virgin. God put the baby in her. And the baby's the savior of the world. Hmm. I don't know because an angel's never showed up to me, but here's what I imagine. When things don't make sense, an angel shows up and tells you don't worry about it, that brings some clarity, right? I mean, you go, I mean, I mean what, this and that, I'm going to do that. I'm gonna... No. Boom, angel, no. Trust God. It's okay. All right. Hey, man, if Jenny and I are having an argument and an angel shows up and says, Steve, she's right. You know what? I'm wrong. That's the end of so, which is, <laughs> I really don't need an angel to do that. That's true almost every time I'm wrong, she's right. Anyway, but when an angel shows up, man, end of argument, clarity. But you know how that is. You ever had a very clear moment with God? And the more time goes on, doesn't seemed to have the impact that it did. So just fast forward a few months. Now they're on the way to Bethlehem. I mean, you could imagine. I mean, no family. By the way, why were they going to Bethlehem? Because Caesar Augustus said all the world had to be registered, and you had to go to your hometown to do that. So this is another fulfillment of prophecy. This is another promise kept by God to get them to where they're going to be. Amazing story. But here they are. I, I was looking at my daughter-in-law um, day before yesterday. They were over at the house. And, I mean, she is really, really pregnant. I mean, she looks like she swallowed a beach ball, man. I mean, she is really pregnant. And she's going to have a baby sometime next 10 days probably. And, and I was just thinking, what would it be like? No vehicles, no mass transit, 
you walk. And you're walking a pretty long way, that pregnant, because you have to. But God's working all that out for his glory. I mean, I, I don't know what was going on. I would imagine Joseph's thinking, what, what did I miss, God? I mean, was that angel thing real? I mean, what are we doing here? No family, no room at the end. We're having a baby. God, did I miss it? God, did I, did I misunderstand your message? God, am I still on the right road? Have you ever been there in that kind of uneasy ground between what God says and what makes sense? You see, it's our fear that causes us not to trust God or kind of start believing God less. It's our fear that does that when we're living in that uneasy ground between what God says and what makes sense. You see, we can get in that place, and it's so easy to think, if I do what God says, man, this could go south in a minute. If I do what God says in my marriage, man, I'm going to become a doormat to that jerk. If I do what God says at my job, I could lose my job. If I do what God says in giving money to the church, man, I may not have enough money left. If I do what God says with my kids, man, they may hate me. If I do what God says with those people who just, you know, irritate me, love your enemies, man, that could go south in a minute. That's why the angel says, fear not. You can trust God. And Joseph found himself in a place that probably to him made no sense. But he also, he also found. He didn't have to be afraid. He could trust God to do exactly what he promised. And maybe, like Joseph, you find yourself at a place that makes no sense. You're in that uneasy ground between you know what God's word says and you know what you're supposed to do. But it doesn't make sense. And like Joseph, you're afraid. Look, don't be afraid. God will do exactly what he said he would do so here's two things that can help you when you're in that uneasy ground between what God says and what makes sense when life doesn't make sense write this down trust God more than your own feelings that's hard isn't it isn't that hard but that's why the Proverbs 28 26 says he who trusts in his own heart is a fool but whoever walks wisely will be delivered um, so the heart is the emotional center of who God made us. So much happens in the heart. That's why you see that all through the scripture. Love God with all of your heart. But a person who trusts in his own heart, the Bible says, is a fool. 
But that's hard, isn't it? Isn't it hard not to trust your own heart? Because sometimes it feels like, man, that thing in me that says, do this, it feels like that's the one thing that gives me confidence. Be careful. It feels like my my own heart is the one thing I can trust. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who knows how bad it is? Wow. But even when we read that and go, okay, I get it, man. My, my own heart can lie to me, but, but it doesn't feel that way. You see, sometimes our heart is the one thing that feels like we can really count on, but it's not. It'll lie to you. Here's why this is a big deal. Look at 1 John 3, 18. God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. (laughs) Boy, that's good news, right? I mean, because we live in that zone, man, where we say, oh, I feel like I need to do this. I feel like I need to do that. Well, I feel that. I feel this. I feel that. God is greater than our feelings. He knows everything. You, You guys agree with this? Our hearts don't know everything. Our hearts only know what it knows. And it can take what it knows and twist it all around to where we're believing something that's not true because we want it to be true so badly. That's how deceitful our feelings can be. So I want to give you a challenge. All right, here's the challenge. If you're listening, say amen. All right, here's the challenge. When everything in you is screaming, when when everything in your heart is screaming, do this, here's the challenge. Stop, ask yourself, is this what God says? Then do what God's word says. Now, Now, let's apply that. If you're married, you've had arguments with your spouse. Anybody who says, yeah, we don't really argue, they're lying. (laughs) If you're married, you have arguments with your spouse. How many times have you known, I'm right, and I am not going to give in? So that's your heart saying, you're right. Plant your feet. How many times when you've been right there have you went, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to ask myself, what does God say about this whole situation right here? And I'm going to do what God says. So if you've been like in your first year of marriage, ah, you had not done that at all. Maybe in 10 years, maybe in 20 years. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. If you'll do that, if you'll trust what God says more than your feelings in that context, really any context, you'll be amazed how much better your life will get. You, I'm telling you, you'll be shocked how much better your life will get, especially if you do it when emotions are high and when you are emotionally vulnerable. Trust God more than your own feelings. Here's another thing, second thing. 
trust God more than your own plan. You ever looked around your life and thought, <laughs> this just isn't where I thought I'd be in this place in my life. I just didn't think I'd be this sick. I just didn't think I'd have these kind of financial problems at my age. I just didn't think I'd be alone. I just didn't think I'd be divorced. I didn't think life would be so hard. Mm. I can guarantee you Joseph had those same thoughts. You see, sometimes in life, we just have to say as believers, God... This wasn't my plan. I didn't ask for it. I don't want it. It just landed on me. But I believe you're bigger than my plan. And I trust you. And I believe you will keep your promise to me. That's what we have. And that is enough. All right, we can also, uh, because God keeps his promises, we can believe his, he will provide all that we need. Uh, look, sin broke this world. That means our greatest need is f- to be forgiven of our sin. Sin landed on this world, broke everything about it. Matthew 121 says, She will bear a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. I mean, look how clear God's plan is. God's coming in the flesh. He's coming as a baby. His name's going to be Jesus. He is our Savior who saves us from our sin. Sin broke this world. Therefore, our greatest need is a Savior. But here's what human nature says. I, I just don't like, I don't like thinking about all sin. I mean, I just don't like thinking about it. But the truth is, every problem or painful issue in our life gets back to sin. Well, what does cancer have to do with sin? You saying because of my sin I got cancer? No. Not personally. I'm saying... Because this world was broken at the beginning and sin entered the equation, which meant death entered the equation, which meant disease entered the equation, which meant pain entered the equation. That was never God's plan. God didn't give people cancer. God made a perfect world that sin broke. And then one day he's going to create a new world that can never be broken will there never be cancer. That's God's plan. But between then and the new world, we live in a broken world. Sin broke this world down to the finest molecules. Hmm. But we don't like thinking about that. You guys get this, right? If Satan can keep us from thinking about sin, we won't ever seek the only possible solution for it, 
which is the Lord Jesus. Hmm. Until, listen to me, until we deal with our sin issue, we don't have another issue. Maybe, like me, someone you love is just missing this Christmas. Maybe it's the first Christmas this person you love isn't with you. There's no, what should I get them? There's no buying a gift. There's no wrapping it up. There's no watching them open it. There's just an empty seat at Christmas dinner. Sin's ultimate goal is death. But we have hope. We have some good news that even in death, because of a baby named Jesus, he was born to forgive us of our sin, and he became the death conqueror. So the death doesn't win. That's who he is. That's what he did. God understood our biggest need was to deal with our sin issue. If our biggest need had been information, God would have sent an IT specialist. If our biggest need would have been boredom, God would have sent an entertainer. If our biggest need had been money, God would have sent a banker. If our biggest need had been anything but sin, God would have sent whatever met that need. But our biggest problem is sin. Therefore, our biggest need is a Savior. So God sent his son, Jesus, to forgive our sin. And he offers us this gift of salvation. Hmm. Look, it's even better than that. God doesn't just meet our need for forgiveness and salvation, then say, hey, see you in heaven. No, 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 no. Look at Romans 8, 32. Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? It's not like God says, okay, it's a broken world. I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm not going to help you, but I got something better waiting on you. No, God rolls up his sleeves, became flesh in this world to help us because he loves us. And he didn't just give his life. He gives us everything else we need. So that's why when we have a need, what do we do? God, I need. I mean, how often do you do that? You know what's easy? What's easy is to go, man, I have a need. I bet Amazon has that. (laughs) Right? Free shipping. I bet if you're like me, when you have these emotional needs and you're afraid or you're worried, You spend a whole lot of time talking to a whole lot of people before you ever say, God, I have a need. I'm worried. I mean, I'm really worried. 
and I need your peace. God says, I want to give you everything you need. One more thing. Because God keeps his promises, we can depend on God to always be with us. Matthew 1, 21. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Promise made. And all this took place to fulfill the promise. To keep the promise. And the promise was, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us. Powerful words. God is always with us. Hey, do you ever feel alone? You're not. Do you ever feel like nobody cares? He does. God is with us. Hebrews 13, 5 says, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Those are big-time words. Those are not passive words. God said, I'll never leave you. Anybody ever left you? It's hard. Is there somebody that you wish right now were just in your life, but they're not because they left? God said, I'll never do that. I'll never forsake you. See, these are not passive words. God's not saying, I love you, I'm with you, but I'm distant. No, no, no. God said, I love you, I'm with you, and I am right here, and I got you, and I am not ever going to leave you. You don't have to worry about that. I am right here, and I love you. I always have, and I always will. I've got you. You don't have to be afraid. I know, I know, life can get scary. You don't don't have to be afraid. I'm right here. I've got you. That's a big deal, isn't it? You know what that means? That means... God is doing things just for you right now that you can't see. He's not passive. He's not distant. And he's doing it just because he loves you and he knows you need it. Run to him. Hmm. Here's my favorite promise that God kept. John 1 verse 11. He came into his own. That was the Jews. Came into his own. His own people, the Jews, did not receive him. They rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Powerful words. 
God made us a promise. If we believe Jesus, we can receive his gift of eternal life. Hmm. If you believe him, the promise he made to you will be the promise he keeps for you. Remember the coins, you know, covering up Texas? The odds of finding the one red coin is nothing. Man. Did y'all know this? Odds mean nothing to God. You know what I believe? With all the eight billion people on planet Earth, God knew you would be right here, right now. Why? Because he wants to change your life. He wants to make you his child. And today, right now, today is the day you defy the odds. I mean, what are the odds that after all the things in your life, all the wrong choices, all the going down the wrong road, all the ignoring God, all the fears, all the questioning God, what are the odds that today on this rainy, nasty day, you are the coin in Texas. And God is reaching down from heaven, picking you up, making you his child. Odds don't matter to God. That's what he wants for you right now. I want you to do something for me. I want you to just stand to your feet and I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Everybody just stand to your feet and bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe right now you're thinking, Steve, I'm the coin. I'm the coin. I mean, what are the odds that after all the running and all the questioning and all the maybe I'll do that sometime that you show up today on this rainy nasty day because God knew today was the day that you defy the odds today is the day you become his child today is the day you stop all the worrying and stop all the fear and, and you believe so if that's you, here's what I want you to do. Just as honestly as you can from your heart to God, can you say, Jesus, I believe you. I believe you. And I'm done with trusting my feelings and trying to figure things out. I'm trusting you. I believe that today is the day I defy the odds and deal with my sin issue because that's going to lead to death and hell. I believe you died on the cross for those sins, so I don't have to bear the penalty of them.
I believe you were put in a grave and three days later you rose again and you're alive right now because you conquered death. You are offering me the gift of eternal life right here, right now. I'm defying the odds. You are reaching down and grabbing me. Jesus, I believe you. Save me. Now's the time. If that's you, and you just asked Jesus to save you. He just picked you up. Here's what I want you to do. There's some people down front here. I want you to just slip out of your seat, and I want you to come down here and just take one of them by the hand and say, I'm ready to defy the odds. Come right now. I mean, what are the odds? You're done. You're done with all the other stuff. You're ready to trust God. Come on right now. Who can say that? Today's the day I defy the odds. Come on. Who can come right now? Today's the day. I believe Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on. Who else? Who else can say, today is the day I defy the odds. I want Jesus just to pick me up. Come right now. Who else? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Who else? Just come on right now. All right. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you can say, Steve, I really am a believer. But I've been living in that uneasy place between what God says and what makes sense to me. And I'm tired of doubting and questioning. It's not working. And I'm ready just to say, Jesus, I'm your child. I'm going to start living like it. If that's you, Would you just slip out of your seat, come down here and take one of these folks by the hand or just kneel at this altar and just say, I'm done. I'm done questioning God. I'm all in, just trusting him. That's right. Praise the Lord. Come on. Who else? Praise God. Just come on right now. Who else? Praise the Lord. Come on. Who else? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Who else? I'm ready to go all in with Jesus. I know what he's done for me, and I'm ready to live for him. Praise the Lord. That's right. Just come on. Just find a spot here at the altar. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we trust you. We love you. Who else can come? Just come on right now. God knows everything. And he came for you. Praise the Lord. Who else? That's right. Just come on. We'll take as long as we need. Just come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we come to you right now. We thank you, God, for sending your one, your only, your beloved son. You did that because you love us. And God, for everyone here right now who has given their life to you today, thank you, God. Praise your name that you came to save us from our sin. Thank you, Jesus.
And God, for everyone who can just say, I'm tired of being on my own plan. I'm tired of doing what I think is best and it just blowing up in my face. God, thank you for these folks who can say, I'm going to live the way God wants me to live. Lord, we trust you. We love you. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God's good. Amen. All right, let's worship him.